Let's pray together, all right? Heavenly Father, just thank you. Thank you for your mercy, your faithfulness, your kindness to every single one of us. We don't deserve it. We never will. But we're so thankful that you have not only created us, but you're reaching out to us. To every single one of us who have ears to hear, you're trying, you're calling our name. You're inviting us to walk in your ways. You're asking us to learn from you and to become more like you. Would you help us, God, to have the faith to walk in that direction? Help us to have faith to that to that end this morning as we look at your word and as we learn from you. And uh, we'll rejoice to be your children. Speak to us now from your word. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody agree with me and sit. Amen. If you know me very well, uh, by the way, if you don't know me, my name is Greg Montague. I'm the, the minister here. But uh, I, I love animals. I have... Uh, just fascinated by animals, enjoy watching them, learning about them. It's like God created them to teach us things about ourselves. And uh, I'm just fascinated with them. And I recently ran across a scientific study on forgiveness that was done using animals, just to analyze them and, and so that we can learn from them. According to the study, scientists have observed conciliatory behavior, you know, the the willingness to forgive kind of behavior in a lot of different species of animals. Primates like mountain gorillas and chimps, they, they demonstrate willingness to forgive by, you know, by affection, caressing, kissing, and that, those kinds of friendly embraces. That's, that's all behavior that says if you're a, a gorilla, a, a monkey, that, that you want to you sort of kiss and make up. You want to move beyond whatever confrontation took place. Scientists have observed similar kinds of behaviors in non-primates, animals like goats and even hyenas and, and others and so forth. It's interesting, though, there's only one species that so far has failed to show outward signs of forgiveness and reconciliation. The, the willingness to forgive gene is just really lacking in the species. It's the domestic cat. <laughs> seems that cats don't always want to reconcile. They have a mind of their own and... And uh, if God created animals to teach us things about ourselves, maybe we who are adults can learn from the cat that maybe that's not the way we ought to live. Uh, I think it's perhaps uh, telling that Jesus speaks a lot about forgiveness, a lot about reconciling in Scripture, probably because, like cats, some of us are really reluctant to do it. We need God's help, like the song challenges us, or need God's help to reconcile. And Jesus is going to give us that this morning from his word. If you have your Bible, open it with me this morning. Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to be. We're in a series that's entitled, Help Me Understand Holiness. And for those of you who know what true holiness is, you know that the holiness is an empowering, a beautiful thing. It's, it's true when it shows up in individuals' lives. It's true when it shows up in nations. Do you realize that that holiness is the foundation for all freedom? Strip away holiness from a nation, and what you have is a nation that can say that they're free, but the truth is they're enslaved. They're enslaved to, to others who must control them from the hierarchical standpoint in order for there to be order. So holiness is the root, the foundation of all freedom. And when you see it lived out in a person or in a nation, it's loving, it's joy-filled, it's patient, it's kind, it's faithful and gentle and truthful, and it's self-controlled, it's more concerned about others than about itself. That's what it looks like when it manifests itself in a group of people or an individual. Every one of us is made by God to live that way. I believe every nation is designed, the dream of God, every nation would operate that way. This series... 
This book, for that matter, is all about how to live that way, and Jesus is going to help us learn to reconcile, which is part of what it means to live in holiness. We're going to see that in this morning in, in the Bible. Matthew 5, we're going to start at verse 21. If you've got your Bible there, open it to that verse. If you don't have it, you can follow along on the screen uh, beside me here and uh, follow, listen as Jesus speaks here. He says to his disciples then, his disciples now, he says, You've heard that our ancestors were told, You must not murder. And if you commit murder... You're subject to judgment. But I say, and Jesus is speaking, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the court. And if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. So if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. When you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And and if that happens, you surely won't be free until you've paid the last penny. Now, Jesus is telling us a lot in these verses, but... Among the things that he's telling, in fact, primary among the things that he's trying to say here is that in a world where sin is present, Jesus knows and wants us to understand that everyone is going to experience strained relationships. No exceptions. Everybody's going to experience strained relationships. But he wants us to know that people who are holy work to reconcile those strained relationships. Relationships. They're not content to be at odds with other people. They don't discard those relationships. They don't, they don't put people in a box as though they can never change and, and just relegate them to the trash heap of society. They don't do that. Holy people work to reconcile relationships. And every one of us has been made by God to be that kind of person, to be that person. So for the next few minutes, what we're going to do is we're going to reflect a few minutes on the uh, three keys to relational harmony that Jesus lays out here. Three keys that work in a dysfunctional world. Three keys to relational harmony. And my hope is that you'll listen close because there's not one of us whose lives, whose relationships, whose friendships can't benefit, whose families can't benefit from this from this teaching of Jesus and the truth that he lays out here for us this morning. So just reflect with me on this and, and do a little self-analysis. And, and some of what we're going to talk about, some of us have heard before. And, and here's the truth about us. Some of us need to hear it and say, oh, that's right. That is how I ought to be living because we've gotten lazy in this area. And if that's the case, then, then just receive it with the spirit of grace that God gives it through Scripture. And and head in that direction, or maybe it's something that you just think, boy, this is, I, this is brand new. My family didn't operate this way. This is not how my workplace operates. This is, maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to you this morning, listen carefully and let's develop some new habits, some new ways of relating. If you look at uh, what Jesus is saying to us here in Matthew 5, the first key to relational harmony and dysfunctional worldly lays out really is this. You and I need to agree with Jesus. You hear me? Agree with Jesus. Anger is dangerous. Now, why do I say it that way? Because some of us don't think it's dangerous. Some of us just think anger is a way of life. This is, this is how I relate. This is me. Deal with it, world. It's the way some people in our world operate. And 
And God's saying, no, 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 no. He's trying to lay out for us here, Jesus, in Matthew 5, that anger is a dangerous thing. It's not always a sin, but it's always dangerous. Always. Look at verse 21 and 22 again. Jesus says it this way. He says, you've heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. Okay? Murder bad? Come on, are you with me? Is murder bad? Yes, yes, of course it's bad. You, Jesus says, you've heard their ancestors were told, you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, and Jesus lays on us his perspective, okay? He says this, if you're even angry with someone, you're subject to judgment. Really what he's saying is, if you're even angry with someone, you're like teetering, you're on thin ice when it comes to judgment. I mean, you're... You're right on the edge of a precipice. You're in a very dangerous posture, position. Because anger is a dangerous thing. Because anger is going to be judged in the same manner as some malicious acts of murder that we would reflexively say, Orhini is horrible, evil. Anger is going to be analyzed and judged, Jesus is saying. It's dangerous for you, for me. Think of it this way. Would it be wise if we, like, delivered a box of C4 to the preschool room for the children to play with this morning? Would that be a wise decision? No. Why? It's dangerous. It's explosive. But it looks just like Play-Doh. You can mold things with it. You can shape things. You, you could probably add food coloring to it and color. I've never tried. Don't plan on it. But it, it's an explosive. You don't put that in the hands of children, do you? You just don't. A, a caring, wise person. I mean, Jesus is just saying anger is an explosive. Treat it like that. Treat it like that. We've got to agree with Jesus that anger is a dangerous thing. We can't. You, you know, if you were to talk with people who, who deal with explosive ordinances routinely, you know what they would, would kind of say? When it's the most dangerous is when you start getting comfortable around it. When you start treating an explosive like something that's comfortable to be in the presence of, that's when it's most risky. Maybe this morning the Holy Spirit is saying to some of us, don't think anger. Don't don't be lulled into the illusion that anger is safe, that you can control it. It might control you, but you will never control it because it's dangerous. Just be careful. Be careful. Second key to relational harmony after we've kind of agreed with Jesus that anger is dangerous is that we've got to start... Need to start reconciling past offenses where anger was associated with that. I mean, we've got to reconcile all past offenses, but in the context is particularly when there's been anger associated with it. We just is kind of a little what he's driving at here. And if you look at verse 24, Jesus just after he uses the illustration, he says, "Leave your sacrifice at the altar." And then notice what he says. He says, "Go and be reconciled to that person. Be reconciled to the person that you're estranged with, where there's the strained relationship." If you did something wrong, he's saying confess it. Make restitution. 
restore the relationship. If someone else thinks you did something wrong, if we had time, we could read other scriptures. Someone thinks you did something wrong. Maybe you didn't, but, you, but they think you do. He's just saying, go, reconcile, work it out, talk it through. And to help us all in these verses, Jesus spotlights in the latter part of verse 22, what I think is, uh, this, this is my heading for it, how not to reconcile. How, how to say, I don't really care about reconciling with verbal and body language and so forth. And if you look at the second part of verse 22, he just starts talking about things like, well, vent, venting anger and insults. And cursing and this kind of stuff. It, 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 Jesus is just trying to convey to his listeners then, his disciples now, that when we just give free vent to something as dangerous as anger, when we insult people in anger, when we curse them in anger. In, in fact, you know, I just think about this as I was even saying it. You know, when, we, when we insult people and I'm not actually angry anymore because I just mean it so deeply, my anger is in absolute control. You see, I, you, ever, you ever kind of get that point where you're so, some, so at odds with somebody that you can insult them and it doesn't even affect you? It's like, it's like anger has... An even greater grip on the soul when that's the case, at least in that relationship. Jesus is just saying in these verses, he's saying, if, if you don't care about reconciling, we'll just go ahead and vent your anger, insult people, curse, but it's going to be judged. And it's interesting, he even says, you're in danger of the fires of hell. How could he say something so extreme? Because anger can rob you of your soul. It's done that over the centuries in lots and lots of people's lives. It's that dangerous. Now, how important to God is it that we develop a habit of reconciling strained relationships? How important is the development of that habit? Well, Jesus illustrates it right here in our text. But to help the the illustration have, I think, the impact that Jesus intended in our culture, let me illustrate it slightly differently, and then we'll go back and read the verses the the way Jesus tells it. But I want you to imagine right now that uh, we're at your wedding, okay? It's your wedding. And and I know some of you are saying, I'm not married. Play with me. Just go along with me, okay? Just imagine it's your wedding, Invitations have been sent. The auditorium is full. You're dressed, you know, you're dressed in the nines. You look fantastic. You're, you look beautiful, amazing. Your hair, ladies, your hair has been done by somebody who's a, an expert in that. And the makeup is perfect. And all the bridesmaids and groomsmen are up here. And like everybody's in a perfect place. And the photographer looks at the stage and just thinks, wow, this is an absolute perfect picture. And, and you know, the, the music is playing and it's just ended. And I'm beginning to speak and it's going flawlessly. It's just amazing, amazing wedding message. Just like one you've never, ever heard in your whole life. Life, it's unbelievable. You're going to write home. No, I'll move on. Um, in the middle of that moment that you have been working toward living for for a lot of months, and some of you for your whole life since childhood, you realize that somebody has something against you. 
Jesus is saying, it would be like at that moment, you drop everything and you just tell everybody, time out, wait right here, I got to go get this right. And instead of continuing with your vows to your bride or groom-to-be, you run out the back door and you go find the person that you're at odds with and you work things out. And then you come back and you make a new vow to the person who you're facing. That's the picture that Jesus has in mind. Only he illustrates it with making sacrifice at the temple on behalf of sins. Look at verse 23 and 24 where Jesus just uses his illustration. He says, if you're presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple, let me just make a point here. This was a sacred moment. You're in the presence of God. Everything has to be right. It has to be a perfect sacrifice. It has to, everything about the way it's offered has to be done just right. I mean, you have to be in the right frame of mind and heart as you come. And he says, if you're, if you're, if you're in that place in your spirit and suddenly you remember that someone has something against you, what do you do? You tell the priest, time out. I, I, you run out the back door of the temple. You go find that person. Notice what he says, verse 24. Leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Time out. So everybody wait right here. And you leave it and you go. And he says you be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Make your vows and your humble presence known before me, God. That's what he's saying. Is that not an astonishing thing? He wants us to reconcile that badly. And here's part of why it's so urgent. And that is because unresolved anger, just bitterness, hatred that just grows and it just goes underground in our lives. When it goes unreconciled, these past offenses, they, they don't stop affecting us. just because we're not thinking about them in the moment. Counselors call that kind of thing displaced anger. Have you ever ever heard that term, some of you? Displaced anger. We've all experienced it. If you're you're mad at your boss, did you know it's more likely that you'll yell at your spouse or your kids or kick the dog, etc.? You just become annoyed with drivers on the way home. You ever experienced that? Come on. Yeah, every one of us experienced. This is displaced anger. It's anger that's unresolved in one relationship that spreads and sort of spills over into relationships with other people and can even spill over into our relationship with God. And so over and over again, Scripture tells us to forgive and to reconcile and Or as Jesus goes on in our text, he gives us a third key to relational harmony and living lives of holiness when he just says, settle your differences quickly. Anger is so dangerous. You don't want to leave it unresolved in your soul. You need to settle those differences quickly. Look at verse 25 as the scripture tells us, 
here, Jesus says, when you're on the way to court with your adversary, settle your differences quickly. Otherwise, your accuser may hand you over to the judge who will hand you over to an officer and you'll be thrown into prison. And if that happens, you surely won't be free again until you paid the last penny. Jesus is kind of giving a, an illustration there of how, you know, things go from bad to worse is the way we would think of this. His point is just don't allow differences to drag on and on and on because, guess what, the problem and the consequences are not going to go away. They're actually going to escalate. Anger has a way of metastasizing in the soul and in the relational world that you have. It will spill out of this relationship and into this one. And then when it sort of entangles and complicates this one, it will just keep metastasizing and now it'll affect these groups of relationships. And, and if you don't settle your differences quickly, that is that's the fruit that would be born from that kind of lifestyle. It's precisely why the Bible tells us in Ephesians 4, 26, 27, don't sin by letting anger control you. So let's just pause right there. Apparently, according, and I'm not saying it, God's saying it, when we let anger control us, when it controls us, and it, that, at that point, it's become a sin. When I'm acting just out of blind anger. So he says, don't, the scripture says, don't let sin or don't sin by letting anger control you. And it goes on and says, Don't let the sun go down while you're still angry, for anger gives a foothold to the devil. Just another way of saying, settle your differences quickly. He just, Apostle Paul, who wrote these words, just states the obvious, that when I go to bed angry, we just leave a wide open door for the evil one to begin to manipulate us emotionally and relationally and spiritually. And Scripture's just saying, settle problems, differences quickly. Now, if this was easy, everybody would do it, right? But it's not easy. And what we find is we work our way through Jesus' words in Matthew 5, whether he's talking about repentance or whether he's talking about, you know, a holy act like reconciling. It's not easy. This is about making a choice to do the right thing for the right reason, regardless of whether I feel like I want to or not. Kind of makes me think of the song where it's just like, God help me. God, help me to do the right thing. It's the spirit of somebody who reconciles. And I need to ask you this morning, are there any situations in your life that this morning the Holy Spirit of God is just pinging on you and just saying, you really need to reconcile that. You really need to resolve it. You've let it go too long. Today's the day. This is the week. Will you... Will you reconcile? Will you make the holy choice to do the right thing, even if your best efforts at reconciling are refused? See, some of us get stuck there because we just think, if I I reconcile, I'm just going to stir it all up again and 
people just going to refuse me and they're just not going not gonna to listen. They're just going to be mad at me again and just going to open the door to all that. And I always appreciated what God has to say to us on this subject in Romans 12. And this may be a, a set of verses that some of us just need to note and kind of live with this week for some of us. Scripture just says, never pay back evil with more evil. Do things in such a way that everyone can see that you're honorable. And then it says this interesting thing. Do all that you can to live in peace with everyone. Some other translations. Do everything you can to live in harmony. Dear friends, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. For the scriptures say, I will take revenge. I will pay them back, says the Lord. Instead, if your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they're thirsty, give them something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals of shame on their heads. And then he just summarizes by this pivotal verse in my mind. Don't let evil conquer you, but conquer evil by doing good, by doing the right thing. Passage is just saying to us here. Holy people work to reconcile. They don't just respond with evil because somebody did them, did them wrong. They don't waste their time insulting them or berating them or condemning others or cursing. They work toward reconciliation. They do all that they can to live at peace with everyone. And you can't make somebody live in peace. But we all have a part to play in that. So many respects, that's how I think of what Scripture tells us about God. God has endeavored to reconcile the relationship between you and Him. He's doing that with every one of us. He's done His part to the extent that it's possible for Him. He is trying to live in peace with us. He would have every right to judge us, to condemn us, to write us off, to insult us, to squash us if He chose to. But rather than considering us enemies and being bitter toward us, what He has done is He has sent His one and only Son, Jesus, that He might die on a cross as a substitute for our sins. And his hope is that we will have the humility of spirit to recognize that I'm a sinner. I've fallen short of God's glorious expectation. I'm not like Jesus. Therefore, forgive me, Father, I've sinned. And in that place of humility, just seek reconciliation from God. That's what he's inviting us to do. Every one of us have been given the divine prerogative to receive what Jesus has done for us or to reject it. But with every choice in the kingdom of God, there are consequences. If we retain our anger, there are consequences. If we retain our sin and ourselves... There are consequences. But if you and I humble ourselves and submit ourselves to Jesus, the Bible tells us there are consequences, opportunities, blessings that come with that. God has done his part. 
the invitation to us is will we do ours? Will we just humble ourselves and say, Lord Jesus, here I am a sinner. Thank you for dying in my place. I repent of my shortcomings. Scripture paints the picture of confessing those to God and being baptized as a demonstration of the death of self and the resurrection of the Spirit of God in my body. It's the picture. You've done that. could make a really strong argument that the beginning place to reconciling with people is reconciling with God because if you're going to reconcile with people in a dysfunctional world, you and I are going to need God's help. Plenty of times when I've had conversations with people over the years that I've had to, the most hard, hard ones were I've been the one who was the chief screw up. Okay, those are hard. They're hard when they're your kid. Uh, it's hard when it's a parent. It's hard when it's a spouse. It's hard when it's an employer. I, I, I've yet to come in contact with an occasion when it's easy. Okay? I've kind of come to the place where I just think it's always hard. I always need God's help in this. The beauty of God is that he will be with you. He knows what it feels like, and he's already reaching out to us. We embrace his way of life. I'm going to invite you to stand with me. We're going to wrap up this morning in prayer. And part of what I want to pray for all of us this morning is that we will have the humility of spirit to want to reconcile. Because it really does begin there. Sometimes it's, it's hard to reconcile in the right spirit if... If I'm feeling like, oh, I've got to do it, I've got to, you know, and it's, you just need to chill in our spirits and invite God to help us want to reconcile. And if it begins there and softness begins to happen inside of us, uh, good things can happen. That's what God wants for us. Now, if you feel like this, if you feel like, oh, this is what Scripture says, i got to do it, that's where you are. And just seek God for that change of heart. Say, God, help me to understand your heart toward me so that I can reflect that heart toward others. Just, just pray for that. God will meet you in that. He does it in all of us. But let's pray and then... Uh, will be dismissed. And my hope is that you'll just keep this in the back of your mind this week. And Wouldn't it not be an amazing thing if we could all go through the week and every time something goes wrong relationally, we work right then to make it right. Wouldn't that not be an amazing week? Think of the impact that could have in your workplace and in your home, your family. be a good thing. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father, thank you for every single person uh, just listening at the moment and just for the, the humility of spirit that's even reflected in their desire to be here and to hear your word and to reflect on these things together. God, that you know that is rare in our generation. So may you 
rest on each person. May you bless each person, strengthen them with your presence and your spirit. Help us in spite of our fallenness and brokenness to do the right thing. Help us to choose to conquer evil with good and particularly the good of reconciling relationships that have been at odds. Help us to not be paralyzed in the doing of a good thing like this, God. Would you help us to know what to say and how to say it? Would you change the spirit of coercion inside of us where we maybe feel like we're being forced to do something from where we were? Would you help us to just our hearts to be melted by your mercy toward us? Would you allow that mercy to flow through us into the lives of others? And Would you help us, God, to say what really needs to be said, not in a critical spirit, but in a confessional kind of way? Help us to make restitution for wrongs that we've committed. Help us to clarify misunderstandings. To help us to settle differences this week quickly. Because God, you know that holiness leads to freedom in our relational world. And it leads to joy and laughter and fun and all things that we need more of. We're holding on to grudges and bitterness just squelch joy and fun. So God help us. Thank you that you've modeled this. And now this week, help us to walk in your ways because you know this, a wave of holiness like this needs to sweep over our entire nation. We have people in positions of power and influence and who need to understand this and need to embrace this way of life. God, it begins with me. It begins with us. Help us to walk in your ways. And we'll give you credit for the good that results. We'll rejoice to be your children. Would you go with us this week? Help us to reflect on these things. Your blessing be with us. In the name of Jesus, we ask for this. Amen.